God calls us together, um, and part of the bigger picture of worship as a gathered church is we, Acts 15, Acts 15, 16, we place ourselves um, under his word is what we do. And as we place ourselves and submit ourselves to his word, the prayer should be for, as we've sung before, for the Holy Spirit to speak through his word into our hearts. And part of our gathered time is to take enough time to let that happen as we just look at the word, but then give it some time to actually speak to what it's trying to say to us. And so um, after we look at the word um, tonight and we begin our time of worship, um, there will be a chance to actually, um, in our prayer time, to be able to speak back to the Lord the things that he's going to show us in his word. And we'll both sing the things that we see as well as be able to speak back to him in those things um, in terms of uh, our, our prayers together. Um, so uh, we come before him to submit ourselves to his word, listen to the Holy Spirit, speak back the things that he shows us, um, gathering around the table as a sign of unity, and then he sends us out to do something with it. And we're going to try to get to all those uh, elements, hopefully, um, tonight before we are finished. Um, if you have not eaten tonight, I'll just apologize in advance. We're going to watch a one-minute commercial, and it's really good because it's all about food. So if you're hungry, you're going to be really hungry after this is done. So here we go. idea of almost thinking of God like this cook who's full of creativity and passion and desire, and he takes these things and he's just throwing them together and all these things are just going and coming together. So we're looking, actually, we're going to look at um, God's word from the perspective of like a cook who brings things together to create something. Um, I don't know if you guys were, were looking at the uh, second missionary journey, and we'll look at a recipe that God used to bring things together in order to produce a healthy and alive and a living church. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever um, seen the, uh, there's a cooking show called Cutthroat Kitchen. Anybody seen that? So, you guys, oh, okay. So, I don't, we don't get any cable, but on, on the internet, gets, I've just kind of enjoying food shows lately. I don't know why, I never eat, but, it's, you know, the, the shows, this Cutthroat Chicken, Kitchen, Chicken, Cutthroat Kitchen, um, they have these contestants come, and they're uh, given a, something they're supposed to cook. So they have to cook like a, 
a steak dinner or an appetizer or something like that. And so they get, um, they give them like 60 seconds. They run inside this pantry. They got to gather everything up. They shut the door on them if they don't get out in 60 seconds. They come back out and they get ready to cook and they're going to get judged. But before they cook, they each have this money and um, they bring things out that they can bid on. So like if a person has other, other ingredients are ready to go to cook waffles or something, um, they can bid on these other items, which are usually things that will ruin their meal because they're like the exact ingredients that they don't need. And people bid on them, if they win it, then they give another person all this bad stuff. And they can bid on stuff, they give them like a mini kitchen to work with, or the one person had to cook the whole thing using a pocket knife, and they give them all these sorts of weird things to sabotage your meal, and they've got to come up with these, these marvelous meals, um, more often than not using ingredients that weren't meant to make that meal. And sometimes they come out really great, and sometimes they're absolutely horrendous. And so they get kicked out of the cutthroat kitchen, and um, they go on for this thing. Um, I made a lasagna one time. Um, this, is, this is a long time ago. Um, I remember Elise was going to cook. She was feeling real great. And I said, I'll be happy to cook. And she had all this stuff. And so I began to take the recipe and was going to make lasagna. And um, so I remember I took the, uh, I can't remember, I think it's noodles on the bottom. There was a couple of layers of noodles. So I took the noodles out of the box and put them in the bottom of the pan. And then I put the stuff on top of it, and then I took some more noodles and put them in, and more. And I got them all in there, and I'm ready to cook it. And Lisa's like, so how did the noodles go? And I'm like, well, the noodles are all in there. And I didn't realize you're supposed to cook them ahead of time. I thought you just put them in like they were. And actually, I ended up saying, that'll work fine. It, it, it didn't really work. They were kind of cooked a little bit, but not really. So we had to pull all the noodles out and eat the lasagna without the noodles. You've got to have the right stuff together, and it's got to be put together in a right way, in order to produce something that brings delight and brings health and brings newness and all the things that God would actually have for us. Um, tonight, as we're going to look at the second missionary journey of Paul, actually, from the perspective of a recipe. And Paul, who's led by the Holy Spirit, goes out and he begins to plant churches all around. And in the midst of doing that, there are certain things that he does every place he goes. Um, and as he does these different things, these things come together by the work of the Holy Spirit that actually produces life in places that only knew distance from God. And they begin to spring up these healthy, alive churches. Um, so there's several essential ingredients that are necessary for God's work in our midst as we're going to see them in the, in the issue of with Paul. Interesting that if you emphasize one ingredient too much, let's say you had the, the right ingredients, but if you emphasize one too much, it doesn't taste right, right? If you put too much of something in. Or if you leave one out, it doesn't quite, everybody notices that. Um, but they're mixed together in such a way that it, it, it brings delight and life. And uh, Paul has these things in his uh, moving out with the church to plant them. And today, he can, God continues that same work in his churches as he brings certain elements together and brings people who each bring a piece of that together and mixes them together to produce something that actually results in a world that gets changed by the gospel um, in our midst. So our two-week plan on this journey, we're actually covering the whole second missionary journey in two weeks here. Um, tonight, I'm just going to do like the five, ten-minute overview of this is what Paul did in the second mission journey. Here's where he went. Um, after that, then I'm going to pull out what are the key things 
that he did each place that he went that ended up producing this, this, uh, this feast um, for God. And then next week, um, Jerry Bowen is going to speak again, and he's actually going to do a case study of one particular church, the Church of Ephesus, and follow it through its history and see what happened to that church that Paul had begun planting and what was its end and what we can learn from that. So that is where we're going to go um, over this week and next week. Um, let me pray, and then we're going to jump right into this overview of what happened with this church. Father, I thank you that um, you and your wisdom know exactly what you want to do in the world. And you have enlisted us and made us part of it, um, just as you thousands of years ago brought these men and women together to be partners in planting the church that you used to actually turn the world upside down. So show us um, what you're doing there, and then bring it to bear on our hearts today in this place um, that we may let you work in the same way. In Jesus' name, amen. If you remember last week, uh, we were in Acts 15. Jerry talked about this group that got together, and they made some decisions um, in Jerusalem with the council having to do with the Gentile believers. If you go to Acts chapter 15 is where we'll start um, you can bring the map up, uh, Rich. Acts 15, uh, 36 um, is where we picked up um, or kind of ended uh, as of last week. It says, um, after they had this council and they sent this letter out, um, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord, and let's see how they are doing. So they had done this first missionary journey. They had these events that happened. They had this council to get together. And then Paul says, we should go back and revisit everybody that we saw and see how they're doing. Because, I mean, they just got started. Just kind of began with these people to see how they're growing and how they're meeting. This is about 8050, 8051. The rest of chapter 15 here actually talks about a disagreement that happened between Paul and Barnabas. As they're getting ready to go, um, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark. And if you remember, John Mark had left the first missionary journey early. Paul, whatever reason, maybe thought he was unreliable or whatever, did not want to take John Mark in the second journey. Barnabas wanted to take him along and and work into his life. They had such a sharp disagreement between them that they decided to go separate ways. So Barnabas took John Mark, who actually ends up growing up and, um, and, and ministering to Paul later on, becomes very effective. Um, they take off, and actually there's a blue line over on the right. They, they actually leave from Antioch, and they sail to the island of Cyprus to minister. We're not really sure what happens there. We don't have any record about it other than that they sail to Cyprus. And Paul takes along Silas, and they begin to head north. Actually, they'd already left Jerusalem down in the lower right here, up along the, uh, it says Caesarea there. They go up to Cilicia. That's Antioch there. They leave from Antioch, and they begin to head across towards Asia Minor, and that would be Paul and um, Silas together. And so here's the, basically the events and what happens. You can read through this. Um, begins with uh, chapter 15, 36 there. Goes to about chapter 18, verse 22, where the second missionary journey actually sto- stops. So AD 51, the text follows Paul and Silas. And I'm just going to give you some highlights of their particular journey. As we said, the purpose was to strengthen the places they had already been to. But God had other purposes because they end up planting new churches all over as they go. Um, The first place they stop in is Derby and Lystra, which is um, up in the Galatia region there, Cilicia, 
um, and above that, um, is at that place, what's significant about that particular town, and Paul did the same thing he did in the first journey. He shows up, he goes to the synagogue, he preaches to the Jews, and then he preaches to the Gentiles. This is basically what, the pattern that he followed. And in Derby and Leicester, they meet a man named Timothy, who becomes obviously very significant later on, and he joins their team. So they have uh, started out with four. Two of them went to, to Cyprus. Uh, Paul and Silas continue north. They picked up one more, another team of three, and they continue on their journey from there. Um, and the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, Paul wanted to go to Asia, which you can see up there. That's actually Asia Minor. It's not what we call Asia today. It would be what we call Turkey today. Paul wanted to go there to um, preach, and the, the Spirit directed him that he was not to preach there. And so they end up actually cutting across um, Asia Minor, but he does not preach. They just pass through all the way to the other side, um, but don't do any preaching. Um, they pass through it as, as they're being forbidden. Um, but it's interesting, and I'll, I'll actually point to it. You can see the uh, yellow, it says Lycia, and right above that is, it says Asia. The lower part of Asia Minor there is the area where the seven churches of Revelation are, are centered at. So you've got um, all those places that are listed in those first chapters of Revelation. Ephesus is their center. And interesting that Paul was supposed to pass through there and not preach there. And yet they become a significant, the center of Christianity later on, particularly when he hit the end of the first century. But we'll see that Paul actually ministers in Ephesus on the way back. But they just pass through. Paul wants to preach there. The Spirit says, don't do it. And we don't know why, but he passes through and begins to listen to him. They go all the way across Asia Minor up to where it says uh, Thrace or whatever that is up there. Um, and as they get on the other side of there, they enter into northern Greece, which is Macedonia, um, and different places up there, which is where they have their main ministry. Um, up there is a, the town of Philippi. We should remember the story where Paul is preaching. They get thrown in jail. Um, they're singing in the, the dungeon, and the, all the, uh, the gates open, and their locks fall off their hands. And the jailer is going to kill himself because he thinks they'll escape, but they're all there. And he actually takes Paul and the other men. He washes their wounds brings him to their house. He is saved. He's baptized. His entire household is saved at that place, and that happens in the town of Philippi. From there, he's traveling. By the way, he's following this uh, major thoroughfare called the Via Ignatia, which is a, a major trade route that goes through all the key city centers. Um, I think uh, um, Dave Drum talked about this, that God used the city centers for his work. So Paul went to these major metropolis Places and right in the center of the city is where he preached the gospel. And that's where God did his work. It spread out from there, but he began in the cities, and I think God is still doing that um, today. Um, he passes from Philippi and continues north. He comes to Thessalonica, which is over in Macedonia. Um, I think Pastor Mike's been there, um, so you can ask him about that. It's a place of ruins <laughs> and, and beauty. Ephesus, that's right. Um, but they went to uh, Thessalonica, which is, we know, the Church of Thessalonians. Um, and so he was there about three weeks to six weeks um, spent there. It's interesting that the, um, the scriptures tell us that they received the word with power. And in just a matter of weeks, this church gets planted and started um, here in this town in, in Macedonia. Um, at that point, um, by then, Luke has joined them. So if you're reading through Acts, it'll often shift. It'll talk about what they're doing. And then it'll talk about what we were doing. And that's because Luke had joined them and begins to write from a first-person perspective. So somewhere along the line, just before they hit Asia Minor, Luke had joined them. So now they're a team of four, 
and they go to Thessalonica and, um, and minister there for those weeks. Paul, at that point, leaves behind Silas and Timothy in Thessalonica because he's going to move on and continue doing things, but he leaves two key people behind to help with that church for a certain period of time. So he's kind of multiplying himself as he goes along. Um, so he leaves Paul and si- uh, Silas and Timothy behind to continue the work, and Paul and, um, and Luke continue another heading down south through, through Greece um, as they travel down that way. Um, they head to southern Greece and Athens. This is about 80, 51, 52. They, most people think that they wintered there because they couldn't travel as well, so they, they spent the winter, and that's where Paul has this, um, this message on Mars Hill where he interacts with the philosophers and the people on, on Mars Hill in this big, huge event happens there. He spends a bit of time there in Athens. From there, he continues down into where it says uh, Acacia there. He gets into where, to Corinth. Um, and it'll be the first of probably three trips that Paul makes to the city of Corinth. Um, he spends a one and a half years there in that town on his first trip. So he has been just kind of bouncing along. And as he preached the gospel, people are coming to Christ. New churches are being birthed. Um, imagine a church, which is like a house church, being birthed within a, a few days, and they have Paul for a few more days, and then he's off, and this church is supposed to grow. Um, and what's, you know, what would happen with that? But the Holy Spirit took care of these people, and you can see from, as we look at history later on, that uh, things happened and blossomed here. But Paul begins to leave some leaders behind to help these places. Goes to Corinth, he spends a year and a half in Corinth, um, while he is there, he actually writes to the Church of Thessalonica. Um, if you read through those books, you discover very quickly they had been growing very, very fast. And he was actually able to send them and speak to them about quite a few things um, from Corinth. Um, he wrote both First and Second Thessalonians during his year and a half there. At that point, um, two things that are significant happen. Silas and Timothy catch up to him and join him there in Corinth. And if you remember, right in the very beginning, he meets Priscilla and Aquila, who become partners with him in his ministry. And we read about them quite a bit um, throughout the remainder of the book. After a year and a half in writing these, these two books, the Thessalonians, um, he leaves Corinth, but he leaves Silas behind in Corinth to continue his work. And he takes instead Priscilla and Aquila with him as he continues his travels um, and begins to uh, use them in, the, in carrying out the work with them. He makes a very short stop in Ephesus, which is that little loop that goes back up at the bottom, up into Asia. Um, he makes a short stop there. It's actually very, very brief. As a matter of fact, they wanted him to stay and preach, and he says, no, I need to keep on going. But something happens there. The, the, the word gets, the seed gets planted there. And in his third missionary journey, we're going to discover that he spends, um, when, um, when Jerry talks about what happened with the church of Ephesus, he spent several years there afterwards. But this first time through, he just basically passes through Ephesus, plants the seeds for a church, and Aquila and Priscilla end up staying in Ephesus, which becomes the, they become the, basically the foundational teachers of that church um, there in Ephesus. And you'll see that later on, actually, at the end of this section, um, there's a man named Apollos that they meet, and he becomes one of the significant people in the church in Ephesus. So it's interesting how Paul is taking people along, and things are happening, the gospel gets preached, and then he leaves somebody behind who's going to kind of help them grow in that a little bit, because they don't know anything. And then he goes on, those people catch up, and he drops some more people off. He meets Priscilla and Aquila, and they get raised up within a matter of a short time, 
he brings them with them, then he leaves them behind actually to foster another church, which actually becomes the Church of Ephesus, which is the center of Christianity later on. So it's interesting how God just is moving, and he moves from place to place, and Paul had a certain role, and each person that he brought along had a different role, and all of them get used to lay these foundations for the growing church um, at that time. And then after that, after he hits um, Ephesus, he does a long trip back in the boat, all the way back over to Caesarea, and then back up to Antioch, ending his journey at about AD 53. So several years of, of traveling, a year and a half, uh, I mean like two years, two and a half years, almost three years of traveling to do this particular journey. So um, that's it, that's what he does. So that's like, here's three years of Paul's life in a snapshot. And, but what happens is all the seeds for the expansion of Christianity all happen in this journey. Um, um, everything that happens beyond that, as it, as it eventually moves out to Spain, as it moves up into uh, Europe and, and, and up into Asia and south again, it all happens from the hub of what takes place on this particular missionary journey that Paul and uh, Silas, along with him, uh, go into it. So what I want to do is, um, our bulk of our time here, I want to look at, there's uh, five key ingredients that come into play as Paul plants these churches and moves through his second missionary journey. Um, and when you take a recipe and you faithfully mix it together and you tend to it, um, which is part of the process as well, um, it comes together and produces life and growth and an enlarging kingdom work, which is exactly what happens here. Paul takes these five things, brings them together um, through the direction of the Holy Spirit, and they produce an enlarging kingdom of God. And what we want to do is we want to look at them. They're going to be familiar to you. And we need to bring them back into here. And so what is God speaking to us? Because God's um, recipe for that hasn't changed any. It's still the same as it was um, back then. So the first one, first ingredient here in this uh, recipe that God has come up with is pointing. The first one is pointing. It's the first step in the recipe, and it is the central ingredient to everything happening here. Um, it's actually like um, this first ingredient is more like the mixing bowl of where everything is put into. Um, this pot that then God takes and puts the other ingredients in and brings to bring them together. You get rid of this one, everything just falls out on the table and it's not any good. He uses this as kind of the mixing bowl for everything else. And what it was is just he talked about Jesus. That's the first thing. He just pointed people to Jesus over and over again. The central theme of everything he said had to do with Jesus. He just mentions him again and again and again and again. Let me give you a few just brief references. Chapter 16, uh, verse 30 and 31 says this um, when he's speaking. Chapter 16, verse 30, it says, he brought them out. Uh, this is the jailer. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said to him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved in your household. And it says, and they spoke the word, it says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved in your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to his house. They said, what's the key here? You want to be saved? It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus, the Messiah. Um, he jumped ahead to chapter 17, verse 3, and these are just a few examples. Um, as Paul comes to Thessalonica and is meeting with the people, it says that he was explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. And he says, this Jesus, 
whom I proclaim to you, he is the Christ. And then you can jump ahead to chapter 18, verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word. They arrive and join him, and he's sharing the word. And he says he was testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. So the very first thing um, in this recipe is this bowl, and the bowl is Jesus. That's it. It's just very, very simple. He makes a point to make Jesus central in everything he did. By the way, that is probably the one ingredient that is most attacked and challenged today. And it's not outside the church, it's within the church, as people are, are reimagining who Jesus was. And it's, it's, it's um, being questioned, and it's being changed, and we have to really pay attention to keeping Jesus um, central. I have a, a friend who's planted a church up in Bend, Oregon. It's called, their church is called Crux, C-R-U-X, um, and he has this on his website, but he says Crux is Latin for cross. Um, it can also mean heart or center point. It's where everything comes together and meets in the middle. Um, it can mean the word crucial. It's the one thing you can't ignore, can't miss. It's the one thing that everything else should point into. Um, is what the crux is. Um, Jesus is the crux of history, and he is at the crux of our lives, where we meet, um, everything comes together. Um, it's kind of like if you think of like a, a bike, um, we've got the hub in the middle, right? Um, think of the hub, in a sense, as Jesus, and the spokes are actually going to be the other things that we look at. There are all these things that we do and pay attention to as a church. Um, and then the wheel is, that's where we meet life. It's where, where we go out and we enter into our lives. And you take out the, the hub and it, the, the pieces just don't fit. The pieces will not fit no matter how well we do with them. They will not fit again. The other ingredients that we actually look at. And it comes apart and we don't make a difference out there. And so the very first ingredient here is keeping Jesus absolutely central. The second ingredient is teaching. The second ingredient is teaching. Over and over again, every single place they went, it tells us that they taught the word. So they made Jesus central, but they spoke the word to them over and over again. And that meant the Old Testament, and it also meant the new revelation that God was giving through the disciples um, at the time. Um, you remember on the, the road to Emmaus, Jesus is walking with the disciples, and what does, he, what does he unveil to them? He unveils himself, Jesus, and he unveils the word. He, it brings them to mind. It, we needed to know he, they could see Jesus in all of scriptures. And so he wants to preach the word. So Paul goes out and he makes Jesus central, but he's going to teach them the word. Because when he leaves, it's the word that gives them guidance as the Holy Spirit speaks um, through that place. Let me give you a few references. Chapter 16, verse 32, just follows what we had been looking at before. It said that he spoke about Jesus um, verse 32, then he says, and he spoke the word of the Lord to them and everybody that was in their house. So he speaks Jesus, and then he speaks the word to them. So you say, I know about this person, Jesus, but he says, let me tell you about him and show you about him from the word so you can see it for yourself. And so he begins to teach Jesus within the word itself. Chapter 17, verses 2 and 3, it says, Paul went in as was his custom and on three days he reasoned with them, and it says he reasoned with them from the scriptures. He took the words, the scripts that they knew, and used them as he spoke Jesus to them. 
explaining verse 3 of chapter 17 and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you, he is the Christ. So he took the word and he began to um, use it um, to speak to their lives. In chapter 18, again, with uh, the same place we went to before, um, verse 5, chapter 18, verse 5, says, Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia. Paul was occupied by what? He was occupied with the word, with the word, which he emphasizes in his epistles over and over again. Be faithful to teach the word, to be faith, which we do on Sunday mornings, Saturday nights. Um, we do in our communities as we gather together, um, bringing the word to bear um, upon our lives. So the first thing here is that it makes Jesus as the center. And second of all, they taught and preached and, and gave the word. In First Thessalonians, when Paul speaks to this church, I'd just gotten planted. He says to them, he says, you didn't receive the word as my word, but you received it as the very words of God, and you received it with power. And it was the word implanted in them that began to lay the foundation for what that church became. That church ended up having a huge influence. It says, the word of God has sounded forth from you, so that we don't even need to go, Paul says, and teach there anymore, because everybody in that whole area knows about it, because it's come out from you, and it was the word itself. So the Jesus first this bowl, and then he mixes into it the foundations of the word. Third ingredient, um, the word here is, uh, initial word here is living, living. Um, this ingredient is the word being lived out in the middle of other people. Um, it's the, the gospel or the word lived out, in Paul's case, in the midst of suffering, because all sorts of suffering he endures as he goes through here. It's the gospel lived out in the midst of work, in the midst of their homes, in the midst of their comings and goings and their travel. And I believe that is the very, we've talked about this, that is the essence of what we as a church consider worship. Um, worship is us as the image of Christ, bearing the Holy Spirit in our lives, going into all of life and living in the midst of the world. All of that is an act of worship. So we worship when we sing, we've talked about that. We worship when we're praying, we're listening to the word. But our activity in life as bearers of his image are acts of worship. Everything we do as, as extensions of his created work in us become acts of worship. And so what Paul does is he makes Jesus the center. He has this bowl, and he mixes into it this healthy dose of the foundations of the word, and then he lives out that word in the midst of people. They see him. When Paul gets stoned or he gets shipwrecked or when they gather him, throw him in jail, People are seeing the work of Christ in him in the midst of their lives. They get to see it happen. And those are acts of worship as he just lives his life that God has placed him in in the midst of other people. And there's, it's, you know, it's one thing to, we've, I think we've all probably had this experience. Someone has told us something and told us it's true, and we don't grab a hold of it until we, all of a sudden we see it happening in them in the midst of something that goes, wow, it must be true because look what they're doing. Look how they're living. Look how it has made a difference in them. And if, um, so that is this, uh, this third ingredient here. And I actually would just say it's an act of worship. It's just being worshipers. Worshipers in the midst of wherever we go. Um, bearers of God's image as we live it out in our midst. Um, it's interesting that Paul spent one and a half years in Corinth. And what did he do? It tells us that he, he made tents. He, he, he didn't have the money to live, so he built tents. And he built tents alongside Priscilla and Aquila. So they had a year and a half with him 
of making tents and growing in the word. And Paul lived in the midst of commerce and, and work in all those places as he lived out that life. And it, it built into that church and those people as they watched him um, live out his life in the midst of them, tent making as an act of worship. And so this third ingredient here is being worshipers, being worshipers in the midst of life. The fourth ingredient is connecting. The fourth ingredient is connecting. Um, this is the, if you read through this, you can't miss um, the importance Paul places on relationships. He mentions all sorts of names in here. And you get to the book of Romans, where later on when he's planted that group, and, he, and at the end of Romans, he lists all the people. I always wonder, why do they list all these people at the end of Romans? We don't know any of these people. You know, we don't even know anything about them. But they're listed there by Paul through the Holy Spirit for a reason, that Paul connected with people over and over and over again. He, he, uh, when he gets to Philippi, they go down by the beach, and what do they see? They see some women praying down there, and they connect with them. And he gets to know Lydia, and she becomes the, um, the host of the, the house church that happens in that place. Paul gets to Corinth, and they meet, um, or earlier on, they meet Priscilla and Aquila in Thessalonica, and they begin to spend time with them, and they engage with them, and they get to know them, and they come to the gospel, and then Paul spends time with them, and they become like partners with him um, in his ministry as he moves through all those different kinds of places. Um, let me read uh, chapter 18, verses 1 through 3 again. It says, Paul left Athens, he went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Which is interesting that God, by the way, has an appointment with Paul with somebody who's actually going to have an impact further away, somebody that came from outside. Um, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and he worked for they were tent makers um, by trade. And then during the Sabbath, he would preach there. And then if you go to, um, let's see, let's go to chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. Chapter 16, beginning with verse 15, says, After she was baptized, um, this is Lydia, um, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful in the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she prevailed upon them, and they stayed with her for a period of time. Um, over and over again, we miss it. We think Paul just came through his place, and he preaches, and on he goes, and this all happens really quickly. He stayed with people. He interacted with people. He, he ate with them. He he engaged with them. He taught them. Um, they worked together. They relaxed together. They experienced the Sabbath day together. And there's all these people along the way that he, he meets, and he doesn't just pass them by, as I so often do. But he entered into their lives and got to know them and connected with them. And what do we call that here? Community, don't we? We call it community. That's our word. Um, in, in, engaging with people, knowing them, taking care of them, building each other up, and walking side by side to the things that God calls us to. Um, so that's, that's the fourth ingredient. It's actually community. Then the last ingredient here, I'm going to use the word sending. The fifth ingredient is sending. This is where Paul builds into leaders and then engages them and sends them out to do ministry. And their ministry they do results in restoration in the world, which is, by the way, is our, is that, if you think of sending, we're sent out, do a work, and the work is one of restoration, making all things um, new. Chapter 18, verse 24. 
says this is a Jew. This is um, after Paul has left. They've, they've finished their journey. This little section here actually looks back to something that happened a little earlier. It says a Jew named Apollos was a native of Alexandria. He came to Ephesus, and he was an eloquent man, competent in the strict scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he was fervent in spirit, and he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But Paul had left behind two people in Ephesus, Priscilla and Aquila. Um, and it says here, Priscilla and Aquila heard him, and they took him, and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and said, Go. And they wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he, was great, he greatly helped those who through the grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing them the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. Here's what happens. Paul meets Priscilla and Aquila. He builds into their lives. Um, foundations are laid. He takes them with him. He spends time with them. And then he gets to the city of Ephesus. He barely is there. Church, but you guys stay here. You guys take care of this place. You guys preach the word. You do the things you've seen me doing. They begin to do it. He lets them go to do that. And there's success in that. And along they're doing that, they run into another person named Apollos. They reach out to him. They take a hold of him. They instruct him. They build into all the things we just looked, all these ingredients that Jesus is center in these lives of living worship and connecting and community and all these things into his life. And then what happens to Apollos? He gets sent out. And he goes out, and he makes a difference where he goes. So the fifth ingredient in this recipe is building into leaders who we take and we release them, which is all of us, by the way, at various levels, into a world that God uses us in to do his restorative work in the world and all the places that we go. It's all about going out and making a difference in the world. So five ingredients there. We've got Jesus, we've got the word. Um, what's the third one? Worship. We're worshiping people everywhere we go. Our lives are acts of worship. We've got community, and we've got restoration. So are those familiar to you? Those words familiar? They should be. They're on the front of your bulletin. So they're right at the bottom of your bulletin. On the front, there are key values as a church. Um, it was interesting. When I went through this passage, and, and Jerry and I talked about it, let's just look at all the ingredients that God put into making a healthy church. And I came up with about 14 of them. I was looking, at through, I was looking through a section here, pulling all the things Paul did, and I noticed that some of them were alike. They, they, they weren't separate. They were, they were kind of intermixed. So I began to join them in the groups, and I didn't make this happen. This is how it came out. It came out with these five things, which happened to be our five key values as a church, the things that God did to mix them together to produce what ends up turning the entire known world upside down are the same for us today. They're the same things that we're to give attention to as individuals and as a church body in order to be the kind of church that God calls us to. And by the way, the result of that recipe that God had put in place through Paul was that the church spread, the church deepened its roots, and the work actually was embraced by the next generation and the generation after that. As a matter of fact, when we hit 100 AD, and the next couple centuries after that was huge time of persecution for the church. And the church endured through that time, the worst of times, until it became... The, 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 the religion of the world in, you know, 300s or so. But it's interesting that the, the second and third and fourth and fifth generations actually prospered and grew in the midst of the worst of things 
because the foundations and things that God had laid out beforehand had been done. And our desire, of course, is that we don't just make a difference today, right? We always need to be thinking about the next generation, which is already here, but even beyond that, the next one. So I, I look at like the Phillips, I'm thinking, okay, we got a gen you guys are a generation, but you've got another generation behind you already. And we're thinking of that one. What's, what's gonna happen with that generation? As we look ahead, as it's not just for today. And so God wants to bring these things together so that generation after generation, those things are begin to produce in us. So what is here for us today? As we just said, you notice the key vineyard values, Jesus, the word, worship, community, and restoration. Um, and they're important because they come together in their own measure um, to produce the things that God wants to do in us. In right amounts and in balance, not neglecting one or the other, or letting one be in such heavy dosage. So, for instance, I grew up in a church that was all about the word, but really didn't spend any time with anything else at all. That's imbalanced. Um, as long as we don't get it over, overly out of balance, um, blended together by the work of the Holy Spirit, God uses the whole church, the whole church body, to bring these together to produce something that to me is like that commercial. It, it, it has life and, and, it, and uh, color to it and sound and... It, it's an aroma that actually draws people going, I want that. That looks good to me. And that's what he wants to do in us. Um, he uses the whole body. Um, and by the way, that does not mean that each of us have to be like, like John was talking about, great people in every area of our life, like these great missions. Like we have to get all these five right. The truth is, if you start thinking about it, each of these areas that are up here, there's probably one that really stirs your heart or that causes you to kind of your, feel life when you're there. For some of you, when you're connecting community, that's where you really live. You just you come alive there. For some of you, it's, it's, it's being in the word and laying those foundations that, that it, you just find delight in that place. For some of you, it's just, I just want to be about Jesus. I just want to be about Jesus and talk about him. For others of us, it's going out and doing something um, outside of these places to make a change. Um, one of these areas probably grabs a hold of your heart and it's where you experience life, and, and that's the area you should give to. And again, God brings all those pieces together in this great mixing bowl of Jesus, and he produces something um, in our midst. Great things happen in the ordinary course of life. God's work in us, our church body, the larger body of Christ, into our streets, and our neighborhoods, our place of work, our campuses, the world, um, as he brings these things um, together. So, two things. First, corporately, where are we at as a church? Um, and this is not very thorough. But I was thinking, so, where are we doing on these things? We we talked about these. What has been? Was it a year ago? Or was it two years ago? Two years ago now. We've talked about them. We mentioned them off and on. They're in your bulletin every week. They're on the website. We talk about these five areas. How are we doing? I think that we are moving forward. As a matter of fact, like in the area of community, I've seen some really neat things happening lately, both um, within our community groups and through some of Heather's leadership but as well as connecting in other places as well. I've seen it happen outside of those groups. I think we're doing better. I think we're growing. I think we're, we're getting restored to some of that heart that was here, that church beforehand. There's more to go. Um, I do think that we are at a crossroads in the area of passing leadership. Um, as, as, as another generation has, has come up and embraced the word and the vision of our church, um, I think that we're at a really significant crossroads as a church. Will we, will we hand this 
to another generation who's going to take hold of that vision and instill their own gifts and passions into it and take it to this, this next place. Um, it's amazing how, how um, quickly and faithfully and trusting God, Paul let go of the reins to people. Um, and they didn't always get it right, but it didn't really matter because God was at work in it. Um, I know from the stories I've heard that the vineyard didn't always get it right in the beginning either. So the people that started, God does amazing things. And so I would say that as a church, that's probably our, a key place we're at right now to see that happen. That means both um, men and women stepping up into place of leadership and the leadership releasing them into those places and discovering where that is. And then Jesus, as always, I think keeping Jesus center is always, um, I don't know if under attack is the right word, but it's, um, we always have to be vigilant about that. Um, that we don't water down who he was and what he came to do and the gospel that he's brought into us. Individually, um, what I'd like you to do, and Cameron, you guys can come on up for our, uh, preparing for some worship. Um, what I'd like you to do, here's what we're going to do. We're going um, to sing about three songs. Um, actually, all the songs we do tonight will actually tie into one of these five values. Um, so it'll come up there if you're listening for it and singing it. Um, the communion table is open. Um, this is where we gather around the Lord who brings us together. Um, he is the one who brings it all and brought us into his work and is the source of everything that happens. But what I want you to think about, let the Holy Spirit speak to you about these five things and think about where is, what is that one area that does make you come alive? Um, whether it's being, paying attention to Jesus, issues of the word, um, living lives of worship through all that we do in the world, um, connecting and caring for each other, um, or making a difference in people's lives outside of this place where the gospel gets shared and we touch Rossbridge, or whatever we do, those kinds of things that we do outside of this place. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you about what is that area that really stirs your heart. Um, and then after a few songs, we're actually going to have a time to pray into each of those five areas. And then we'll continue to some more music. If I get up there to start praying and you're up here taking communion, don't worry about it. Just keep taking communion, and we'll enter a time of prayer, and then we'll continue singing, and then I'm, I'll be closing out our service. Lord, I would ask, uh, thank you for the bread and the cup behind me. Um, simple elements that um, remind us that you came um, to make a difference here in this very tangible place. We would ask that you would stir our hearts in these areas that um, Paul laid down in the very beginning through your spirit, um, that we would be a place both as individuals and as a body of Christ that um, creates an aroma that draws a world to itself and that delights you. Um, so gather us around this table, gather us um, underneath the word, uh, speak to us even as we share this, the words these songs and be exalted in the midst of it. Amen.